Happy Easter, everybody. So great to have you here in the room, those of you joining us online. Uh, whether church is a regular part of your routine, or maybe it's you're here because it's Easter, and, and that, or someone drug you here, or, or, or bribed you with some great lunch afterwards, uh, I'm just glad you're spending a little time this morning to think about what I believe are the implications for the single most defining historical event in the world. Jesus Christ walked out of his own grave. And that reality, listen, anything is possible if you believe in resurrection, anything. So whoever you walked in here with this morning, staring at whatever mountain, Jesus wants you to know today, if he can handle that, he can handle whatever your this is. And so one of my first vehicles was a 1987 Nissan Stanza. Here's, I called her affectionately Whitey. This is Whitey. Anybody from the class of 87 in here? Come on, 87. 87's heaven. It was like the t-shirt slogan, right? Way better than 88. It was like 88's great. 89's fine, but 87's heaven. Come on, class of 87. All right, one of you over there. Awesome. Well, I digress. So 87 Nissan Stanza was one of my first vehicles. And Whitey, she was a great car. And around 100,000 miles, um, this check engine light kept coming on, okay? And I was kind of annoyed by it, took it to the mechanic, mechanic couldn't get the light to turn off, so check engine light kept coming on, take it back to the mechanic, same drill. So I decided I'm going to solve it. I got some black electrical tape, snipped a piece of tape, covered the light, (laughs) right over it. Beautiful. Problem solved. Light's still on, just couldn't see it, right? So like I said, I drove about another 20,000 miles or so, so about 120,000 miles now on Whitey, and I noticed there was an exhaust and kind of a mixture of exhaust and gasoline smell starting to kind of fill the, you know, the driver's compartment and such. So I just cracked my window and kept on driving and tape over the light, you know, I'm good, I'm good. Went to a gas station on 267, fill Whitey up. Pumped her full of gas, pulled away from the pump. As I pulled away from the pump, I noticed some white smoke start coming out from under Whitey's hood. I thought, I'm not a mechanic, but that's not good. That's not good. So I pull about 20 or 30 feet away from the gas pumps, turn Whitey off, pop the hood, and here's what I was greeted with. Do you want to know what makes gas station attendants move quickly? Like, you ever wonder, like, what could get them to actually, this gas station attendant just flies out of, it was like the 66, they're on 267, he just flies out, he hit whatever alarm you hit when there's a fire at your gas pump, shuts all the pumps down, alarms going off, he's got the fire extinguisher, he just comes and he just covers Whitey with all this fire extinguisher dust. By now, these large sirens called the Brownsburg Fire Department are en route to this gas station, and so, can you picture the scene, me, Whitey? covered in dust, and all these people who are pumping gas looking over at me, right? You see this scene? Because their pumps all stopped. Fire truck pulls up, introduces, you know, we kind of exchanged names. He's like, sir, is this your car? Yes, her name's Whitey. He said, you know, I think Whitey's dead. I said, sir, you know, it's been a really good vehicle. I, I think it's car graveyard, buddy. I said to the fireman, I thought, well, there's a little backstory here. You want to hear it? And he's like, sure. And I said, you know, check engine light, tape, clip, cover, exhaust, gas smell. He looks at me like, you idiot. I mean, (laughs) how dumb can you be? Like, you are the reason the fire department is busy at this time of day. Like, 
So we called the mechanic, or we called the wrecker to come tow Whitey away, you know, to a local mechanic. And so there I stood in the parking lot of this gas station beside a fireman as Whitey gets put on the hook. She's now completely covered with fire extinguisher dust because the fire department did what they do, just cover it. She's on the hook. She's being towed away north on 267. I just had a little funeral in my heart. You know, Easter is Jesus coming for the 87 Nissans of lives. They're on a wrecker hook. Easter is Jesus coming for drivers that clip the tape and cover the warning lights. Easter is that invitation. A pastor named Skip got his young congregation together. He got the kids together at the front of the sanctuary. Any of you grow up in faith traditions where like the pastor would gather the kids on Easter morning and read a little bit of the Easter story to him at the front of the sanctuary? That's what Pastor Skip was doing. He came to the part of the story as he's reading through the gospel accounts. He said, kids, what do you think Jesus said when he first walked out of the tomb? Like, what were his first words? And this little girl shot her hand up. She was so enthusiastic. Pastor, pastor, I know, I know, I know what Jesus said. He said, what did he say? She said, ta-da! Church, today is Jesus' ta-da moment in history. And we're going to talk this morning about two key questions out of John 20. We're going to look at how can we be so sure? Like, I think we should really pause on that. How how can we be so sure? And then we're going to look about what difference does it make in our life today? But how, how can we be so sure? Because... How is it that maybe American philosopher Ralph Waldo Emerson, how is it that we know he's not right? His assessment of historical Christianity is, quote, it has a nauseous exaggeration about the person of Jesus, end quote. Huh. How do we know it? He's not right. We're just like exaggerating the story, like Jesus rising from there, like we really, really want that to be true. Is just today like a hopeful exaggeration? Or do we have like concrete, firm, strong evidence, like a reasonable conclusion? Like the, I believe the smartest minds in the world objectively looking at the data regarding the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, I believe they come to this conclusion today, that Jesus Christ walked out of his own grave. So how can we be so sure? We'll look at three reasons. If you haven't already pulled out your message notes, you can get them, eaglechurch.com slash Sunday. If you go there, scroll down to the notes section, you'll be able to follow along a little bit easier. The pertinent kind of quotes and scriptures are on there for you, eaglechurch.com slash Sunday. So first reason how we can be so sure is that the written accounts of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, those written accounts are dated in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. This is significant. Have you, have you ever kind of put yourself in the shoes of like, what was it like to grow up around Jesus or with Jesus? Those of you moms, like parents, how about being Mary, like raising Jesus? Can you like picture some of the dialogues they had to have had? I was picturing like, I picture like Jesus saying to Mary sometime, hey mom, you know like I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now some of you are raising teenagers who believe that, but Jesus, you know, but Jesus saying to his mom, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Right? And Jesus, or, you know, Mary's reply is, yeah, that's nice, son. Why don't you go clean up your room before dinner? And then Jesus saying, well, sure thing, mom, but you know, I like, I created that room, you know. You know he's, can you hear Mary say, well, sure, right, right, and your dad is God. And Mary, Jesus saying, yeah, I'm glad we got that cleared up. 
Can you picture it? Like the kinds of dialogues, the kinds of interactions that occurred that the gospel, four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they wrote these four biographies in a time frame and began to circulate them in the lifetime of the people that were still alive and the eyewitnesses. That's a big deal. When I went to Israel in 2017, I went to this village called Nain. I snapped this picture on the way into the village, Nain, N-A-I-N. Luke chapter 7 records a story about what Jesus did in the village of Nain. I was just sitting there, and we were reading the story out of Luke 7. There was a funeral one day in the village of Nain. A widow's son had died. Big funeral gathering, public square, big deal, lots of people. Jesus shows up at the funeral, walks up to the casket, and raises the young boy to life. Do you think that might be a scene? Like, do you think like, he's like, no need for a burial service, you know, strike up the band, let's have a party, it's resurrection. Do you think word might have circulated around that? Luke wrote that account about what happened in the village of Nain. He wrote it 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Just 30 years. What is it? Why is that so important? Well, when that letter began to be circulated, guess who's all still alive? All the people in the village of Nain. If that didn't happen, there's no way that story gets off the ground. Can you picture it? Somebody write it. I mean, it's one thing to write it three, four hundred years later. Everybody's dead and gone from Nain. Thirty years after it happened, the only reasonable conclusion to make is that this young widow's son in the middle of the public square of Nain in a funeral service came back to life because Jesus of Nazareth said, rise and live. And story after story, like, they would, have, they would have said, Luke, you're just disillusioned. You're like, you're mentally unstable. Your letter is a myth. Toss it aside. Unless it really happened. That's why in another gospel account, in Matthew's gospel, it says this in Matthew chapter 28. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, it created a lot of problems for the authorities. Like the two guards that were at the tomb. It's a bad day. They just had one job. What was their job at the tomb? Keep the body in the tomb. Because they knew this, these wacko Christians are going to go ballistic if the body's missing. Like their idea is shut down the Jesus movement by keeping that body in the tomb. Which, by the way, parenthesis, could silence us today, right? Just, just find the body. Do you think there's been a little momentum? you think there's been a little interest over 2,000 plus years? Just find the body, find the remains in parentheses. But the, so they bought, off, they bought off the guards. The guards go to their supervisors and go, hey, we got a problem, boss. It was the elders and chief priests. They're like, we got a problem. Like, Jesus, he's not there. What do you mean he's not there? It was a sealed tomb. You don't just walk out of the tomb. Like, boss, he's not there. So they put their heads together. What are we going to do? What are we going to say? They pay the guards off to start circulating a story that the disciples came and stole the body. That's the story, okay? Matthew, this is Matthew 28, writing a biography about Jesus. Here's what he says, verse 15 of Matthew 28. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this what? Very day. Church, do you see that? To this very day, like the people who are alive at that point, who were around, they're receiving Matthew's account. If that didn't, there's no way it gets off the ground. It gets off the ground because it's true. That's what I would argue. 
if you want to take a deeper dive on this whole particular rationale for why I think we have such strong, like, have such confidence that, that what we're talking about today actually happened, go to Richard Bauckham's book. Here's a picture of it, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. He was a really well-respected Cambridge scholar and just writes outstanding on this topic. So Jesus and the eyewitnesses, you want to take a deeper dive there. So first reason, how can we be so sure, is that the, the written accounts of Jesus' life occurred in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. That's a, that's a I mean, if, if it didn't happen, I mean, it had to be like, because it would have been easy to show. The only way for it to take off is if the events happened. Secondly, think about the Jewish people. I want you to think now about Jewish worldview. Maybe some of you were raised in a Jewish environment. You could speak to this much better than I could at this moment. But a Jewish worldview, the framework for a Jew, no one could claim to be God's son in a Jewish framework. Claiming to be the son of God, do you understand now why the Jewish leaders were so upset at Jesus? Because they started hearing him conclude over and over again, the God is my father, I'm his son, I'm here. I mean, he kept saying, right, I'm the way, the truth, and life, I'm the light of the world. They would just be fuming They'd be so upset because a human can't claim to be God. The claim of being the Messiah, not in the worldview for a Jew, which is why they had so much momentum when they were crying, crucify him on Good Friday. It was the Jewish leaders were a good portion of that. In the Bible language, it's called the chief priests and the elders. Like, what's that group? Jewish leaders. They were the ones saying, no way, put that guy on a cross. He can't be the son of God. Secondly, on top of that, there's no resurrection in this life. Like, no concept of resurrection in the end for a Jew. Not resurrection in the everyday now. Not village of Nain thing and not Jesus walking out of his own tomb. No, that stuff doesn't happen. So the framework, why is that important? Think about the early adopters. Like, who gets this faith off the ground? John chapter 20, who's at the tomb first? Mary Magdalene, Peter, John. John chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. They're there, they're running to the tomb. What's the common denominator between all those people, Mary and James and John and Nicodemus and Andrew? What's common about all of them? They're all Jews. They're all Jews. So, little thought experiment now. Maybe you come into Easter, you've got your own set of doubts. You've got your own set of skepticism. You've got your own struggles. Maybe you're like, feel like those first century Jews. You just go, Maybe you feel a little bit more like the philosopher. This is, just a, this is just kind of a nauseous exaggeration day for the people of Jesus. Maybe you feel like that. Bring your, bring your doubts like the people of Jesus did there, like the Jews did. Maybe different doubts, but maybe the same degree of doubt. Would you agree that it's okay to have doubts today? Would you agree with me then that it had to take a pretty good amount of evidence for those early Jews to overcome their doubt? Like it, that evidence had to be pretty strong, Right? So you've got your doubts, they had their doubts. But guess what? Their doubts were blown away and removed. How? What explains this? How do you go from no framework for Messiah, Son of God, no framework for resurrection, and they become the launching pad for the resurrected Christ, the movement of Jesus? What explains that? They met Jesus who had risen from the dead. That's what explains it. Ta-da! That explains it. I got, what turned their questions? How did they work through their questions? And it's okay to have questions and be honest about our questions. What helped them overcome their questions and place their faith in Christ? They met the resurrected Christ and their lives are forever changed. I think that's pretty convincing stuff. So when you put the eyewitness accounts with the Jewish like early adopters, the people who were like waving the Jesus flag were Jews. 
Do you see how it just, the Jewish leadership, the leadership of the first century Judaism culture, they were completely becoming unraveled. How? Because their own people were jumping on the Jesus train. They were trying to yank them off the train, and they just kept jumping back on. Well, how do you explain it? I think resurrection. Thirdly, and lastly, I think we can point to the life change. Like, what explains the degree of change in these early disciples? If you read about the life of a man named Peter, who was just a fisherman, Peter, who was a denier, he denies Jesus. He's a fisherman. He quits. He's done. He's given up. He says, I don't even know the man. Peter goes from, I don't know the man, Jesus, to history records Peter saying, I give my life for this man. Crucify me upside down. I can't die in the same way he died. What explains that? Or you take someone like Saul of Tarsus. Do you know the story of Saul of Tarsus who becomes Paul the Apostle? Saul of Tarsus was arresting Christians, throwing them in jail, shut the church down, quiet, shut this Jesus train down, quiet this movement. Saul was using all his power and all his intellect and all his influence to stop the Christian faith. Until what? Acts chapter 9, road to Damascus. He meets the resurrected Christ. (laughs) Jesus is alive. He meets him. So we go from Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle. He goes from a Jesus persecutor to one of the biggest advocates of the faith ever. He's like the poster child for missionaries. He's like Asia Minor church planting got started with Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle, who writes 13 of our 27 New Testament books. How do you explain that? And then how about the 11 early disciples who gather with Jesus, Matthew 28, and he says, hey guys, before I head out of here, I've got a great plan. I got, I got a plan. I got an idea. And they're all huddling around him. They're mostly uneducated, just very ordinary people. It's kind of like you and me, just ordinary people. And he says, I want you to take everything you've experienced, everything we've done together, take this life and the teachings and everything I've been trying to teach and build into you. I want you to take all this and I want you to change the world. Go to the ends of the earth, change the world. And you know what they say? Okay. Are you kidding me? Okay. When the last people who are doing that, they executed him. Which, by the way, history records most of the early followers gave their lives. They're the martyrs. You're, You're most likely not going to lay down your life for a nauseous exaggeration. What explains the degree of change in these early disciples? I would argue they met the resurrected Christ and their lives forever changed. Because when you believe in resurrection, anything is possible. It changed not just some things. It changed everything. This ta-da. And that. So when you look at the witness accounts and the, di- the time frame in which they're recorded and circulated, you go, well, how do you explain that? These four biographies, the only way they get off the ground, we hold them 2,000 years later. The most credible piece of historical literature on the planet is what we hold in our hands. You go, okay, you give us that. Well, when you read them, what do they say? Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And then the Jews, they carry the message. They're the ones launching it off. Jews who didn't believe in all that stuff. Yeah, because they were confronted with some pretty strong evidence and their lives were forever change. So I want to encourage us today to think, how can we be so sure? I think we can have a a confident assurance that what we're talking about today is not a nauseous exaggeration about what we hope for, but a confident assurance about what has actually occurred. 
That's why Jesus' people today gather 190 nations, 2 billion plus today. And they're gathering in the name that is above every name, right? And the king above all kings. They're not lighting candles and gathering. And they're not having worship services in the name of Caesar or Herod today or any of these great empires and leaders today. Rome has come and gone. Caesar has come and gone. Herod has come and gone. What stands secure? Jesus Christ His kingdom will reign forever and ever. That's today. If you believe that, anything's possible. So what difference? So that's nice, Eric. Thank you for the history lesson. Appreciate that. Well, what difference does it make today? What difference does it make today? Think about this for these early followers even. What difference has it made or perhaps in your own life? In John chapter 20, when Mary's there at the tomb... She's confused. You know, it's another great picture. Like, they're confused, they're skeptical, and they're doubting, like the early disciples. The Scripture records that they actually doubted. I mean, why would you record that? Unless what? It actually happened. Unless they're actually doubting, because that's what reasonable people would do, right? Mary's there. She's confused. She's skeptical. She's like, she can't figure out where the body's gone. Like, and Jesus shows up. Now, she thinks he's the gardener. That's a whole other sermon for another day. I think about all the times in my life when I miss Jesus. Like, he's, <laughs> he's in the garden of my life. I think he's the gardener. You know, I'm just so caught up in my own whatever, issues, pain, struggles. But Mary, she's teared. She's confused. She's got her own doubts and struggles. And Jesus just says one word. What does he say? Mary. Calls her by name. You know, he could do that today for you. Maybe someone listening online, call you by name. That changed everything. Mary. And of course, then she recognizes, turns, falls at his feet. So what difference does it make today? There's this. If Jesus is alive, point one, then he is with us in our present reality right now. This is what he says in Matthew 28. Surely I'll be with you always, he says to those early disciples. Which, by the way, that, the only explanation by why they'd say, okay, they'd be like, we ain't going unless, like, you're with us. Now, they probably thought he was going to stay in, like, his physical resurrected body state, and they probably thought, yeah, we're go time now. And then he ascends, you know, 40, 50 days later, and they're like, you know, that, that had to be a tough day. You feel pretty good if you had the resurrected Christ, Right? Heading into the next village. I feel pretty good. He says, surely I'll be with you always. I don't know what your vision or view of Christianity is. I don't know what you grew up having a picture of, what this with Jesus life could be. But I want to paint a picture for you today that because Jesus is alive, you can have a relationship with him that is just as real and just as personal as any other person in your life. Do you believe that? That's what... Jesus rising from the dead means that he's alive today. You can know him. You can listen to him. You can love him. You can walk with him. He can be present with you in your current reality. That we don't just get together and like sing songs and read stories about some great historical figure. We don't just have memorial services about a great world leader. It's deeper than that. It's deeper. It goes to relationship. 
It's not a memorial to a person that has been. It's a relationship to a person that is today alive. After the first service, I was sharing on this point, and many of you have been praying for Stephanie Ashraf's family, and with their permission, I share a little bit about this. Stephanie walked her father, Tom, up. Tom's been on our prayer list for many months now. In September, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. And he was here in our nine o'clock service and Stephanie and her mom and Tom walked up and with tears streaming down his face, he just said, Eric, I just want the church to know that Jesus has been with me. It's been hard. He went from a strong, he said, golfing five days a week, 69-year-old man, healthy across the board, to the doctor, look him in the eye and say, yeah, yeah you've got, you got a tumor in your brain. We need to operate, and it's not the kind of news you want to get. And then all the months and the treatment and all the stuff that's been going on, and he said, Jesus has been so real and so personal. And his wife stood there, and his daughter stood there, and they just talked about the companionship of the living Christ. What explains that? Jesus is alive. You might not be going through brain cancer. You've got your own set of whatever it is. But if you will turn to him, here's what you can have a confident assurance of. Because Jesus is alive, he will be with you. I will be with you always. And whatever your current reality is, Jesus will be there. I think that's tremendously hopeful. I mean, you can choose to go about this life on your own. I don't know that that's wisdom. Or you can choose to go about this life in companionship with the one who rose from the dead. I choose the latter. I believe he is who he said he was. And if I'll turn to him and give my life to him and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, if I'll do that, I'll be with you right now. Wherever you are and whatever you're going through, The second thing is what difference does it make today is he's not just with us in our current reality. Matthew 28 verse 20 says, surely I'll be with you always even to the, what's the scripture say? Even to the end. He'll be with you in the end. Man, how glorious is this? Richard Rohr, I really like his writings. Richard Rohr is, he said it this way. He said five essential truths every single person at some point in life you're going to have to come to grips with. Sooner rather than later. Those of you young people listening right now, just encourage you. Come to grips with these sooner rather than later. It would be super helpful. So here here are the five uh, statements. Life is hard. Boy, we've got a PhD in that over the last, right? Life is hard. You are not that important. Your life is not about you. You are not in control. You are going to die. Happy Easter. (laughs) Listen. That we're going to draw our last breath. I hope even the most doubting and skeptical about ever is going, I hope you're at least kind of feed in reality enough to know that day's coming for every single person. Like, you're going to draw your last breath. That's not a question. What happens after that last breath? That's the question Jesus wants to. And here's the offer that Jesus says. <laughs> like, the invitation of Jesus is this. 
if you will believe me, if you will come follow me, if you'll believe who I said I was, that I did what I said I'd do, if you'll confess with your mouth that I'm Lord, you'll confess your sin, believe you died on a cross, rose from the dead. If you believe that, if you put your whole heart into that, if you'll walk and follow him in that, here's the invitation of Jesus. When you come to draw your last breath, he will be there. He will be there. And today, we say, what's he going to say on that last day? When you draw that last breath, he's going to say, rise and live. Because those who die in Jesus, rise in Jesus. Ta-da! He'll be with you. In your present reality, yes. Just like Stephanie Asher's father, Tom, is experiencing. Absolutely, yes. And then... When we come to the end, there's another great and glorious thought here. Like, that means whether your story is a cancerous brain tumor, a busted up marriage, a busted up family situation, breaking down health, disillusion, whether your, your journey, your story, whether it's winding road and dark valleys and deep days and confusing circumstances and wondering how you're going to get through what you're going through, no matter what the journey is, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, however long that journey is, <laughs> if you'll link your life up with Jesus, here's the promise. Your ending is guaranteed, good and glorious. The end, it's guaranteed for you. Now, the winding road, as Jesus' life showed, lots of scars, lots of scars. Jesus' life was not easy. Those early disciples were not easy. Most of them gave their lives for the faith itself. This life is not going to be easy. Richard Rohr's this life's hard. There'll be a lot of pain. But in Jesus... What difference does all this make today? It means the end is guaranteed because the tomb is empty. And when you link your life up with him, he'll be there. And your end is glorious. I don't know about you, but some days I need to like look down the corridors of time a little bit and I need to just anchor myself in the glorious goodness of the ending and I need to pull that in to this current reality. Anybody else? That's today. Look down the corridor of time, however many days the Lord's going to give you, and hold on to this. If you link up with Him, check it out. The end, light, hope, glory, goodness. What does He do in the end? He sets all that's wrong right. Who's ready for that? Anybody tired of the darkness and injustice going on in the world today? You know, what's Jesus going to do about that? He's going to get the last word. Yeah. Ha, how great is that? The kingdoms of this earth are not going to get the last word. Jesus is going to get the last word. He's going to set it all right. Oh, I look forward to that day. All that's unfinished in this life, anybody else frustrated about the unfinished stuff in this life? Anybody got unfinished conversations, unfinished relationships, unresolved whatever? You're like, what do I do with all that? In the end, Jesus will be there. He'll finish what's unfinished. When you're put back together in those relationships and in those worlds, in heaven, in glory with him, it's going to be the way it's supposed to be. Ah, that's good news, church. That's glory. That's the end. Everything that's broken and shattered in this life, anybody else just feeling the weight of brokenness? 
everything that's shattered and fractured apart in this life. They just get exhausted by the amount of just human brokenness. Sometimes as a pastor, I just get weighed down by human need, my own need, and then just need of broken humanity. And you go, Jesus, what are we going to do about this? Link up with me, lift up your eyes, Simpson, and see at the end. I'll set it all right. Everything that's broken, everything that's fractured, I'll make whole. That's your guarantee. This is what J.R.R. Tolkien, many of you Tolkien fans in the room, right, listening online here, Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings. Wonderful story. If you never watched Lord of the Rings, spend the next 12 hours with Lord of the Ring. Unbelievable. He was a follower of Jesus. He had a great influence on C.S. Lewis and his journey. Tolkien talked about something in the human spirit that he believes God put there that we're drawn to the unexpected turn in a story that ends with rescue and redemption. There's something inside you. He says, this is why you spend all the money you do on movies and books. And you go, why do I spend hours and all the time on that when there's this winding road of darkness and despair and injustice and then there's this unexpected twist and turn in the story. And the end of the movie, it's like, oh, the bad guys got what was coming to them and the good guys win and there's rescue and there's glory and redemption. And you're like, yes. Here's how Tolkien wrote to describe that right there. He said this, in the turn we get a piercing glimpse of joy beyond the walls of this world, as poignant as grief. (laughs) You see that? And today, church, today, do you get the glimpse? Today, we live in the great story, capital G, capital S, the story we're proclaiming today, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the capital G, capital S, great story that all other great stories, I believe, live in the shadow of. This is that story. And Jesus says, lift up your heads, look at the end and say, the end is guaranteed. It's good. It's glorious. I win. Grace wins. Hope wins. Love wins. It Because Jesus walked out of the grave, rolled the stone away. He says, I'm alive. Ta-da! I think it makes a difference today. It makes a difference in our current reality. And it makes a difference because he said he'll be with us in the end. So worship team is going to come back up. My phone rang about three or four days after the uh, little car funeral I had on 267 with Whitey. My phone rang. It was the mechanic three or four days later. He said, Eric, you're not going to believe this. I think we can get Whitey back on the road. I said, really? A few hundred bucks? You want to give it a try? I said, yep, a few hundred bucks. Do it. He called about a week later. I showed up at the mechanic about a week later, and here's what I was greeted with. Ta-da. Whitey ran better in her post-fire resurrected state than she ever ran before. Guess what was gone? Check engine light. I got to peel the tape off. It was gone. No more gasoline smell. No more exhaust smell. She ran to 267,000 miles. <laughs> I kept a little, like, altar of remembrance on the dashboard. It was a little pile of fire extinguisher dust. (laughs) Serious. I kept it up by the windshield. You know, it just reminded me. 
Anything's possible when you believe in resurrection. I took her to a Tom Wood to like trade her in, 267. I said, hey, you know, take the plates off of here. We're going to get a, a newer car here. Like, and the guy running the dealership, he's like, yeah, we're, we're not putting anything on that car. It's going to the high mileage auction like today. It's off the lot. So Easter 2021, how can we be sure what we're talking about actually did happen? I think we can have some confident assurance, church. Jesus Christ walked out of the grave. What difference does that make? He'll be with you. His promises. No matter how deep the valley, no matter how dark the day, no matter what the current looks like, I'll be with you. Because I'm alive. It's a real relationship with a real person who can call out to you by name, Mary. And he'll be with you in the end when you come to draw that last breath. The promise of the ending is good and it's glorious because he says, rise and live and those who die in Jesus, rise in Jesus. And that matters today. Anything's possible when you believe in resurrection. Let's pray together. Just want to give you a moment here as we wrap up. You know, maybe you sense the Lord calling out to you by name today. Maybe you strolled into Easter service or watching online somewhere. This resurrected Christ is stirring something in your heart. Maybe you sense him calling out to you. And all you, can, all you need to do, all you need to do is say, Lord Jesus, save me. The quietness of your own heart. You put your own words to it. Jesus, save me. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose from the dead. Save me, forgive me, lead me, fill me with your spirit. I give my life to you. That's all you need to say. Here I am, Jesus, take me. Lead my life. Just pray that in the quietness of your heart. And there may be some who are remembering a time when you used to walk a lot more closely with Jesus. You remember what it was like to just kind of live in that daily companionship, but for whatever reason, you just drifted a long ways from that. And you know, here's the muscles you can work today if that's you. Just come back. Just come back. Don't Spend one more minute. Don't spend one more day. Drift away. Just, just come back. Just turn. And just say, Jesus, I want to come back. I rededicate myself to you, recommit myself to you. I just want to come back. And if you turn your face towards him, you'll see his face has always been turned towards you in love. Always. Just turn. And come back. Say, I'm coming home. And then for others, Lord, we just join these early disciples maybe through our own doubts and our own skepticism, our own confusion. We join them at the empty tomb today. And we, like Mary, we just bow in humble adoration, King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you that you would endure what you endured on Friday to purchase what you purchased on Sunday. That we can have life in you today. We love you, we worship you, we trust you, our resurrected Christ in Jesus' name, amen.